This text from Matthew chapter 21 was read. Let me just read a couple verses, Matthew 21. If you have your Bible, it might be good for you to get it now and you can follow along on some of the texts that I'll be referring to. Verse 9, Matthew 21. The crowds going ahead of him and those followed were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Would you please bow wherever you are for a word of prayer, asking God to bless us as we consider his word. Dear Lord God, we thank you that you are the one who comes in power and glory 2,000 years ago and today, marching into hungry hearts who are desperate for you. And Lord Jesus, we pray now that you would speak to everyone who is participating in this worship. Pray that your name will be lifted up and glorified. Amen. I'd like to now turn to this passage in Matthew chapter 21 and turn to our own situation today. We are a nation that is facing all kinds of distress and I want to know what kind of prayers are you praying these days? Ironically, I I don't know if you find this, but I find that when I'm in trouble, when I'm in distress, I find it harder to pray sometimes. I don't know if you pray that way or if you find that difficulty. But now here we are in distress even as a nation, and I want to know, what do you pray? What are the words that you utter to God? So today what I'd like to do is something very practical. As we look at this Palm Sunday event described in the Gospels, I'd like to give you a one-word prayer. A one-word prayer. A prayer you can whisper all through the day as you're facing fears, difficulties, troubles, or hearing distressing noise. So here's the simple plan for today. First, I'd like to tell you what this one word prayer is and what it means. Second, I'd like to tell you where your eyes should be focused when you're praying this one prayer. And then thirdly, I'd like to tell you why God delights in this prayer. So let's look to this passage where this one word prayer is mentioned. It's a simple word. It's the prayer Hosanna. Hosanna. The word is a desperate plea for help, and at the same time, it's exuberant praise. Now, that sounds like a contradiction, so I'd like to explain it. So, first of all, let's think about what this one-word prayer really means, Hosanna. First, it is a desperate plea. The people were quoting from the psalm I read at the very beginning, Psalm 118. First of all, they were quoting from verse 25. And Hosanna is really two words in that psalm. And it actually, interestingly, is the only place where it occurs in the Old Testament. The only place that Hosanna occurs. Verse 25 in Psalm 118 says, Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. So the first word, I said it's really two words. The first word is Hoshia. And it's really used in many, many places in the Old Testament. It really means save us, and you can look it up yourself. It's a cry to the Lord to save us, well, from God's anger, to save us from captivity, they pray, to save us from enemies which are about to overrun the nation. It's a cry to save us, O Lord. So in and of itself, that's an appropriate prayer for today, isn't it? O Lord, our nation is in distress. We're threatened by diseases which we can't handle. Jobs are disappearing. Families are fearful. Save us. Save us. But there's something else. I said it's two 
words in Hebrew. So the first word is Hoshea, but the second word is very interesting. It's a little word, N-A, na. So it becomes Hosanna in our English translations. And it, in Psalm 118, verse 25, that na is used two times. It's translated in some versions as we pray, others as we beseech you. A few translations just leave it out. But it means it's a fervent please. It's a fervent plea. That word, whenever I encounter it, always strikes home to me. Because this is something I don't understand linguistically, but the same word functions in exactly the same way in Hindi, one of the languages of India that I grew up with. And so it's a word that makes any request into a request that's tender, plaintive, a plea. So if I say to you, idara, it means come here. But if I say, idara na, it means come here, won't you? Come here, please. And that's the word that's added to Hoshia here. It's saying, Hosanna. It's a tender request from God's people. It's the heartfelt plea of a desperate people. Save us, won't you? Save us, please. It's the kind of desperate prayer God's people pray. So what was their desperation? I think those of you who have been in church for a long time already know the answer. Because this nation, you know, was in crisis. In 63 B.C., the Roman general Pompey had come and conquered Jerusalem. And now the nation was being ruled by the foreign power Rome. And the Jews hated it. All kinds of restrictions were placed on them. As you read the history of the Jews, you see that they tried to rebel many times. One of those rebellions was actually right around the time of Jesus' birth. And the rebellion was brutally crushed. 2,000 of these Jews were captured by the Romans and they were crucified. Just strung out along the road so that people could see what happens to those who dare to challenge Rome. So you have hope in your leaders, do you? You have hope in your military strength. Here's what happens to those who try to oppose Rome. So there was a desperation here. They wanted political deliverance. And their cry, I think, aims at that. It, it shows us that. In our text, Matthew 21, they were addressed Jesus as the son of David. They were thinking back to their great king during their glory days when King David ruled. Mark's gospel says it even more strongly, maybe more uncomfortable to Rome and to those who had power because of the power of Rome. The people, Mark says, were saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Yeah, well, this is rebellion. John is even more seditious, I guess you could say. John 12, verse 13 says, here's what the people were saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. You see, they wanted a revolution. They wanted freedom. And in fact, Jesus' manner of entry, I think, inflamed that expectation. He rode in on a colt or a donkey, the same way that Solomon, many years earlier, had ridden into Jerusalem when he was claiming the throne of his father, David. It was the way that Zechariah the prophet said the Messiah would come, proclaiming peace. And so he comes here as a king, a desperate nation. Hosanna, they're crying. I think these days we're getting maybe just a glimpse 
of the desperation which this nation felt. We're getting a glimpse because, well, who is the superpower now? Who's the superpower in our world? You know, it's not the United States, it's not China, it's not Russia. The superpower is this army of tiny, mindless viruses. They brought the whole world to our knees. And as I say, it's a tiny glimpse because, well, we've been under threat for a few months. We don't like it. But Israel had suffered, well, for a hundred years at the time of the first Palm Sunday. And then for hundreds of years before that, with just brief periods of respite here and there. Lord, free us. Hosanna. Save us, Lord. I think it's the prayer that should be on the lips of all of God's people. All those who know that they're helpless. All those who, like us, are indeed helpless. We're finding out, aren't we, that having a great armaments and having wonderful armies can't save us. That having brilliant minds can't save us because they're reduced to taking stabs in the dark. Hosanna, save us, Lord. So we're all brought to this, I guess we could say, beautiful one-word prayer. Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord. One plaintive plea. Save us, please, save us, won't you, Lord? And someone's going to say, now, wait a minute. This doesn't quite fit the scene that's described in Matthew 21. How does that account for these children singing and dancing and waving palm leaves? This kind of desperate prayer doesn't go along with that. It's like someone, you know, dialing 911 while they're bleeding to death and singing a little ditty into the phone and doing a tap dance, you know. No, that doesn't go together. Something's wrong here. So that brings us to something else that they were quoting in Matthew chapter 21. They were not just quoting the verse 25 from the psalm, Psalm 118, but they were quoting the next verse also. And the next verse is marvelous, especially in the context of that first Palm Sunday, because it says that the answer to that prayer was before them. Psalm 118 verse 26 says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So 25 says, save us, we pray, Lord, save us. The next verse says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. See, it was a celebration that they were looking at the deliverer. They were looking at the one who was the answer to their prayer right before them. The plea for help turns into exuberant praise at the same time because they're seeing that the deliverer has come. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here's the first instruction, you might say, for these days of distress. One word prayer, Hosanna, Hosanna. So here's the second instruction. Where should our eyes be as we're praying Hosanna? Well, our eyes should be exactly where the eyes of these people were at that first Palm Sunday on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he is the deliverer who is willing even to go to the cross in order to answer that Hosanna prayer. But we have an advantage. This crowd was about to be shocked, of course, because soon they would realize that this deliverer, riding in like a king, was actually riding in to his own execution. I don't know how you'd arrive at your execution. I mean, suppose you knew you were going to be executed. Would you come in a stretch limo with you know, black SUVs escorting you in? Crowds waving flags, cheering you on. And yet that's exactly what was happening here. 
Jesus knew exactly what was about to happen. In fact, he announced it just a short time earlier. Matthew records it in chapter 20. Here's what it says in verse 18. He turns to his disciples and the Lord Jesus says, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered to the chief priests and the scribes and they will condemn him to death and will be handed over to the Gentiles to mock and scourge and crucify him. And on the third day, he will be raised up. On the third day, he'll be raised up. So he was going to Jerusalem very purposefully. He was going there in order to be executed by crucifixion. And they were saying, save us, save us. And they were saying it to this king. Maybe that explains some of the scoffing that we see described in the Gospels later on. You know, Jesus is on the cross and the people are mocking him and saying, he couldn't save himself, how can he save others? Why would you cry, save us, to one who's headed for his execution? What kind of saving was Jesus offering? That's the question. What kind of saving was he offering? Well, who we call for saving us is really a reflection of the kind of help we think we need, isn't it? I mean, if you have trouble with your car, you call an auto mechanic because that's the kind of help you need. If you need to move, then you call some friends with strong backs because that's the kind of help you need. If your nation is facing an epidemic, you call on nurses and doctors and epidemiologists because that's the kind of help you need. The kind of help you discern you need describes the kind of help you call for. But why would we say Hosanna to a deliverer who's about to be executed? Now, if I ask you what kind of help you need, I think all of us would give the same kind of list. It's a very heartfelt list. We need deliverance from oppression and injustice in our society. Our nation and the nations of the world need deliverance from epidemics, from disease, from pain, from suffering. Our own hearts need freedom from fear, from stress. Oh, we need freedom from regret. Isn't regret one of those horrible diseases that grows in our heart? Have you found out how every year you live, regret seems to grow in number and in intensity of a pain it causes? You're just praying, Hosanna, oh God, I wish I had done things differently. I wish I could go back and undo what I had done. Can't I relive it? Hosanna, oh Lord, save me from that. And then, of course, there's our own sins. We want deliverance from our own sins. I think all of us recognize how helpless we are when it comes to our own sins. The illustrations of it convince us immediately. We end up, for example, hurting other people, even the ones we love the most tenderly. What is wrong with me? There's something wrong. Sins make us hurt ourselves. What is wrong with me? And then on top of all of that, We all want deliverance from death itself. The songwriter Andrew Peterson wrote a song which was called Hosanna. And he doesn't mean it in the sense of children dancing and singing. He means it in the sense that I'm talking about here as a plea, as a prayer to God to be his savior. And here's what the first verse says. I am tangled up in contradiction. I'm strangled by my own two hands. I'm hunted by the hounds of addiction. Hosanna. I've lied to everyone who trusts me. I've tried to fall when I could stand. 
I've only loved the ones who love me. Hosanna. Oh, Hosanna. Save me, we say. Save me. And really we say, Lord, save me from all those distresses. Save me from all those sorrows. That's what I want. That's what kind of deliverer our hearts are yearning for. You might have seen videos, news clips of prisoners of war being released. You know, it's a happy and sad scene at the same time because, yeah, it's good that they're finally released, being reunited with their family, but at the same time, you know, they're gaunt and sickly. They might be limping. They have this haunted look on their face. Immediately, they're taken to a hospital, even before they see their family because they have to be checked out. What if the doctor asked you, you're that prisoner of war, and the doctor says, all right, we've examined you, you know, your knee is really torn up. You have infected tooth in your mouth, oh, and your heart is in serious trouble. Now, which one do you want fixed? And you'd say, no, doc, please, not multiple choice. I want all of it. I understand why you have to start with my heart, because if my heart quits working, none of the rest really matters at all. But doctor, fix my heart, do what you have to do, and then, yeah, fix my teeth, and then, yeah, fix my knee, because I want to be whole again. That's what I really want. I want everything. I want to be whole again. And friends, that's what King Jesus does. He begins with our hearts. The healing that this deliverer begins is in our hearts. So he unbends our stubborn will. It's a very strange stubbornness because it fights against the will of our creator. You know, the one who knows how to make life flourish and we fight against him as though we know better and we hurt ourselves. And he mends our desires, the very desires that cause destruction to ourselves and those around us. But that's not all. He says it's not multiple choice. He promises that one day in his kingdom we'll be whole, that everything will be whole. But he begins here. He begins right here. You see, that's where the answer to Hosanna begins, right in our hearts. So many of these people didn't realize that 2,000 years ago. And so they were disillusioned when they saw this same deliverer, who they thought was their king, beaten and bloody, standing helplessly, surrounded by Roman soldiers. But he wasn't helpless. They didn't realize that. He came to Jerusalem purposely to die. You see, he was in charge. He was accomplishing his purposes. Actually, what he was saying is that I'm here to answer all your hosannas. And this is the cost of answering those hosannas. I'm here to pay the cost, to make it possible to say yes to every hosanna that my people ever pray. I'm here to release them from all their sins and sorrows. But we know that. Because as we read the Gospels, we see that this was really the climax of his life and of his work. He said he came, in fact, he said he was born in order to die. He said he, was, he came to redeem his people, to be the answer to their hosannas. And that, that's why a huge portion of the Gospels is devoted to these last few days of Jesus' life, because this was the point of his life. And we really, friends, you really don't understand Jesus if you don't understand the cross. That's why he came. That's why we have so much focus on the cross in our worship. So here's my instruction. First of all, a simple prayer. Hosanna. And secondly, 
as you're praying that, keep your eyes fixed on the Lord Jesus Christ and on his cross. And so thirdly, why does God delight in this prayer? The answer, I think, is very simple. Because the opposite of Hosanna is, I got this, Lord. The opposite of the prayer, Hosanna, is, I got this, Lord. Don't worry. And I'll tell you what, God hates that. I don't know what you think about that statement, that God hates the, I got it, that kind of self-confident pride. But it's everywhere in the scriptures. I could quote many illustrations from the Old Testament, but let me just quote these from the New Testament, some of which are actually quotations from the Old. Jesus said in Matthew 18, Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. James and actually Peter quote this same text. They say, God opposes the proud. Did you hear that? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then James makes this amazing promise in in the book of James, New Testament, chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourself, therefore, before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Humble yourself before the Lord, and he will lift you up. And friends, Hosanna is the cry of the vulnerable, of the desperate, of the helpless, It's the cry to a Savior in whom they trust, the only one who will free them. And it's the prayer that God answers. It's the people to whom God gives his abundant grace. He delights in those prayers. The opposite of those prayers, the opposite of Hosanna is, I got this. Prayer request? No, I'm fine. You don't need to pray for me. I'm doing great. Thanks. I got this. But God brings us to the end of ourselves. I think that's one of his themes in my life and in your life. And I think in the life of our nation. Have you noticed how people have this kind of low-grade anger these days? Yeah, there's fear, there's desperation, but there's also this anger because they hate being helpless in the face of this epidemic. We shouldn't be there. Why are we helpless? Why didn't they stockpile more medicines and equipment? Why can't the scientists come up with a cure for me? Why can't I get treatment? We're a great nation. Why can't we find a cure? And we feel helpless, vulnerable. We feel angry. Shouldn't be like this for us. We're in control. We're in charge. We're bright. We're strong. So the question arises, and I think we all are wondering about this. What is God up to? Why is he doing this? to the nations of the world now. I'm going to pause there so that you think I have the answer because I really don't. I wouldn't presume to know what's on God's mind ever, but I do have a guess in light of what God has said about his attitude towards the humble and his attitude towards the pride. I do wonder if one thing which is being accomplished, maybe not the only, but one thing, one purpose that God has is to show us how vulnerable we always are. I wonder if one purpose is for God to show us how we always need a deliverer. Not just when the distress is obvious as it is now, but always. I picture a dad teaching his son how to ride a bicycle. You may have done this, or you may have seen somebody doing this. You know, he's got a firm grip on the bicycle, and the little boy is riding along. At first, he's fearful because he's not in control, but then, ah, the bike feels stable and strong. And he rides along, and the fear disappears from his face, and he gets this strong smile. He's enjoying this. 
And then he starts to say, okay, Dad, I got this. Let go. Let go. I got this. And Dad kind of shakes his head and lets go for just a second. And the bike starts to wobble. It's about to fall. And the son cries out, help me, Dad. Help me. And Dad grabs the bike again. I'm just wondering if God lets go for a moment here and there in our lives. He lets go just so we can see how vulnerable we are. Just so we can see reality. The reality of who we are and the reality of who God is. The reality of how weak we are and the reality of how dependent we are on the Lord all the time. I love this statement from Philip Brooks. Philip Brooks is the one who you may know as the author of that Christmas carol, Little Town of Bethlehem. But he has this definition of humility which is rich. Let me read it for you. He said, The true way to be humble is not to stoop until you are smaller than yourself, but to stand at your real height against some higher nature that will show you what the real smallness of your greatness is. Humility is seeing the real smallness of our greatness. And I think maybe our nation right now is seeing the smallness of its greatness in the light of our living God. God is against the proud. See, the proud are spiritually insane. <laughs> they're, they're crazy. They don't see reality as it really is. They think they're invulnerable. They think they can handle things on their own. They have this inflated view of themselves. And God, wow, by grace, by his love, brings us down. He humbles us so that we see ourselves the way we really are. And at that point, we begin to pray out and say, Hosanna, Hosanna, Lord. Save us, please. Save us, won't you, Jesus? This is the kind of prayer that delights our God. So that's my simple instruction for you as we all as a people are facing this distress in our nation. It's a call to a simple prayer. Hosanna, Hosanna. May our Hosannas rise up to the Lord with our eyes firmly fixed on Jesus because there's the promise that God will withhold nothing, not even death on the cross, in order to say yes to all of our Hosannas. Hosanna. Keep that on your lips. It's a prayer you can whisper all through the day whenever you feel fear rising in your hearts, whenever you feel doubts clouding the promises of the Lord Jesus Christ to you. Just say, Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, save me. Hosanna. Lord, save us, please. Lord, save us. Amen. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you have been willing, you've proven you're willing to give us all that is necessary to save your people from all our distresses, Lord. From the things that we take for granted, that the deep infections in our heart, as well as from the symptoms on which we tend to focus, the stresses and fears, the diseases and pains that afflict our body and our mind. Oh Lord, we thank you that you came to release your people from all those things and make us whole again. And now, Lord, as we turn to this, your table, where we are reminded of your death for us. We are reminded that you willingly, purposefully paid the price to free us from all our sins and sorrows. Lord, we pray that you would prepare our hearts. We pray that we would partake by faith in what you have accomplished for us and that we receive it into our hearts. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Some people feel 
lowered or lessened if they bow before another, but, you know, it's our honor. It lifts us up to bow before a true king. And the true king has come into our midst, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's the answer to every prayer. And so that's my benediction. May our great God answer all your hosannas and relieve all your fears and sorrows. Amen.